This episode of Roderick on the Line is brought to you by Casper. Casper is an online retailer of premium mattresses that you can get delivered to your door for a fraction of the price you'd pay in stores. To learn more, visit casper.com slash supertrain. Hello. Hi, John. Hi, Merlin. How's it going? It's going good. Mm. I pretty definitely did not make enough coffee today. I can tell. Mm. It's so it's so weird to hear you in a state of of under caffeinated. <sighs> oh yeah. Oh, I yeah. did not sleep. My Fitbit dingus tells me I slept okay. I beg to differ. Bullshit. Yeah, I think I didn't. No. I think the device lies. I should make some coffee on the air. I wonder if I have water in the pot. Do you mind? No, uh, I would I would be honored. I don't normally do this, but to yeah. hear you make coffee during the show. We'll see if I got any water in here. Oh, I could probably fake it. Yeah, pull close. it off. It'll be close. I'll make a small little bit. How's, do it. How's uh, how's your morning? Well, you know, I got up. I went downstairs to my uh, to this podcast studio that I'm building in my house. Uh, <laughs> Hang on, and hang on. Has has Psalm's scope of work increased to official podcast studio building? Psalm's scope of work has definitely increased. <laughs> and simultaneous to it, my yeah. scope of work, Peter's scope of work has increased, and so has mine. So the house looks like uh, the mother of all bombs went off. Uh, last week, Psalm came to me and said, look, I've got a friend who needs some work. What if we pressure wash your house? And I was like, what? sure. I was like, sure. So then they pressure wash the house. But of course, you know, you pressure wash a, wash, pressure wash a house like mine. And it, you know, it strips all the paint off of it. So at least now there's paint all over the yard because they didn't put tarps down. So they just, it's just like the house just like it exfoliated. Oh, God. Uh, but no, I'm building a podcast studio in my house completely separate. Uh, but as I was setting up downstairs, like, I'm going to record Roderick on the Line in my brand new, in uncompleted podcast studio. Wow. Immediately immediately outside, I heard Psalm roll up and be like, well, let's see. How many of these gas-powered generators should I start at once? Jiminy. And so I had to come back and get, get back into my hidey hole. Well, you know, I, I we got a lot of response. I have to say, I heard from a lot of folks about uh, last week's episode. A lot of people seem to enjoy it. They're putting it in the pantheon. But I'm glad everyone got entertained by the tales of Psalm. Hmm. But but uh, is there anything you can update us on in terms of... So we left off last Monday morning, mm-hmm. early. Psalm was on your roof, I believe. Yep. Yep. At that point, what yeah. what what do we? Uh, I feel a little bit like Peter Jennings or something. What, what <laughs> do we know this week that we didn't know last week? Well, you know the tale takes turn because um, did I tell you about Psalm's trip to the state house? No, I haven't heard about this. Tell me. Well, so so he didn't he didn't come one day. You know he. he his and my uh, business relationship is is based around the idea that at 
on any given day, yeah. maybe one or the other of us won't show up, or maybe both of us won't show maybe up. Maybe somebody flakes, maybe somebody bounces. Right. But there's, there's, it's understood in the relationship that you might, either of you might text each other at 9 a.m. to say it's not going to happen today. Exactly. Which is, as far as I'm concerned, the best kind of business relationship. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, that whole business of, well, I was, you know, I was all set up and waiting for you and you didn't come. It just doesn't happen between me and Sam because, yes, I'm all set up and waiting for him. And also, it's fine if he doesn't come. Uh, but so he didn't come for a couple of days. And and when he did, I was like, hey, what have you been doing? And he said, well, I went down to the state house. I went down to um, to protest at the Capitol. No kidding. And he didn't. He, he said that he went to, I forget what town he said, but it wasn't actually the capital and i think he and and it was clear that he'd actually meant that he'd gone to olympia he just had his towns mixed up he mm. said he went to tacoma to protest at the capital and i was like do you mean olympia and he said yes olympia and i said what were you doing what were you protesting and he said well we weren't really protesting we we're trying to raise awareness mm. and hey, but he said, really is a polymath john mm-hmm. he's got and a lot I going said, on he's a music well, fan he's a, he's a handy boy but this was this got very this got very serious very quickly because I said what were you raising like what could you possibly be raising awareness for I mean I guess there's a lot of things uh-huh. and he said well the current government of Cambodia is very bad oh interesting and no one seems to know and so we're going down to try and get people to pay attention to the fact that the new guy running our country is bad and 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 we need to watch out. And I said, is he like old Khmer Rouge? And then Sump took a big step back and looked very surprised hmm. and said, how would you know about them? Like they're still around? Well, so the yeah. The remnants of them are these like the Richard Spencers of America? I mean, like they've still got some uh some holdouts. So my understanding was that they just retreated into the mountains, uh-huh. Pol Pot included, and just set up a government in exile up there uh, near the border of Thailand, where they continued to be kind of a regional power, or you know they were a um, they they it was a little uh, um, readout. And, you know, the, the Viet Cong, or the, I'm sorry, the Vietnamese, the North Vietnamese Army, mm-hmm. I guess which became the Vietnamese Army, took over Cambodia for a long time and fought for, you know, tried to absorb it. And there were all these civil wars and, you know, just getting Pol Pot out and just getting America out of that region didn't calm everything down. Pol Pot lived till 1998? Yeah, 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 that's right. And Damn. all of his... All of his lieutenants and all of his, you know, commanders, all, the entire group that committed all the genocide, yeah, uh, never brought to justice. Continued to live, I don't think in splendor, but continued to live um, and terrorize the, the the region. I mean, can you imagine? Cambodia is not a big country, and so you've got like some somewhat of a democratic government in in Phnom Penh but like 
like the Khmer Rouge who killed millions mm-hmm. are just sort of up there in a treehouse, not far away, you know? Um, so Sam was like, you know about the Khmer Rouge? And I was like, yeah, I mean, they were in all the newspapers. Mm-hmm. And uh, so then he was, you know, then he really, uh, well, I guess it's not that he wanted to talk, but he he had not met very many people outside of his own community that that could that got his references so we started talking about the government in cambodia and he's not that much younger than i am and it, it comes out that you know and i'm like well you know the 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 genocide and he's like i was there i was like you were there and he goes on to recount this tale. Oh, God. Standing on the front porch, where as a seven-year-old boy, he'd been one of the lucky ones because they gave him the job of cow herder, and he'd been herding the cows while they killed everybody he knew and everybody everywhere all around. Oh, Jesus. And he doesn't, I don't think, remember the U.S., bombing of Cambodia, but he remember, you know, he says like it was all just uh, potholes is what he called them. But like he said, all that bombing campaign, all it, all it ever did was kill farmers. It never killed a single Viet Cong or, you know, it mm-hmm. was just, it was just, we were just bombing farmers. And I was like, I believe that. But he just, he started telling me these harrowing stories about um, what happened to people. And he's like, you know, I saw that movie, The Killing Fields. I've seen the movies, but they're just not, they just don't, uh, they don't register the scope of it. You know, it's just like, oh yeah, that was one incident that happened and it's, it's horrible, but it was like, it, it just was everywhere, happened everywhere. He said that, that he had a he knew some people. I mean, it's unclear. Like, if you're in a small village, obviously you know everybody. But like, there was a everybody was starving, and and this woman he know he knew caught a frog and brought it home to add to the dinner pot. Mm-hmm. And her son, who was just a boy, denounced her to the local. Uh, cadre as a bourgeois because she had caught this frog and so then they had kept kept it instead of giving it to the collective somehow yeah that they had a frog in their pot where others did not oh god and so they killed her they killed his mom they this kid was like eight years old denounced his mom to the and then like stood there at eight and watched her kill defiant as you know as a bourgeois element so so now i'm standing there talking to talking to sam who's who's digging a trench around my house and standing on my roof but now the now the dynamic has definitely changed holy shit because as he's telling these stories you know i don't know that it's 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 that kind of situation that you encounter in life where someone's experience is so astronomically extraordinarily different than anything you could know Mm -hmm. 
and yet the the um, the trajectories of both of your lives have have put you both in in the same place at the same time. It could be the thing is it could be the kind of horrible uh, story you've heard about a hundred times, but the fact that you've heard about it a hundred times it doesn't prepare you for talking to somebody who's actually been through it. And it's it's uh, such a different magnitude to talk to somebody who's, who's been through the Holocaust or the killing fields or or whatever. It's uh, it's it's. I was watching uh, Ken Burns uh, last night. The uh, the Vietnam War uh, oh. series just started last night. Actually, it's been a very John Roderick week. The Vietnam War series started last night, um, starting in the 1800s up to 1961. Mm-hmm. Really about, um, and I'm not talking Cambodia here at this point, talking about Vietnam, but um, talking about Ho Chi Minh and so much shit I did not know. Oh, <laughs> I know, it's my. crazy, right? <laughs> Holy shit. He was writing letters to Truman that no one was delivering. Yeah, it's he, was, he was up there quoting Thomas Jefferson and saying, look, you know, hey, you got to get our back on this. You know, this yep. is, you know, you got to help us fight the French because, like, we're the Americans in this situation. Yeah. And uh, we need you to be the French to our Americans. <laughs> sort of like, you know, Revolutionary War style. Yeah, right. You know what I'm saying? Where, that's, that's a very mixed thing if you're not. Where's uh, our Pierre yeah. Lafont? Well, sure. Give us a, a Lafayette. But, um, and then on top of that, I started listening to a podcast about LBJ and Vietnam. That oh, I think you're really coming at it from all sides. It's just coincidental. I just consume a lot of media about terrible things, but that was very much on my mind. And like seeing that, when, as you're describing this, I, I'm not trying to change this topic, although we should change the topic. This is very depressing. The um, just the history of what was done to the people in in that case, Vietnam. It's just it's it's just astonishing. The French were not very nice to them. No, they were awful. Uh, and, and then we made every kind of, of redoubling error. And I mean, all of Southeast Asia is still, I mean, have you been following what's been going on in Myanmar right uh, recently? Yeah, apparently it's not optimal. No, it's, it's also another sort of like genocide. And this time the... You know the the woman we all expected was, was she's not saying, not talking much about it, right? Yeah, she's the savior. What's up with the, that? Well, because it's a because we're talking about a Muslim minority in that country, and um, and so there's a you know there's a sense of like democracy. Except, I mean, there's a sense of like all animals are equal, except some animals are more equal. Than it feels others. a little bit like the first Gulf War, the second Gulf War, the post nine eleven era, a little bit. Where it's like, well, all we know is that anybody with a turban is bad, and anybody who doesn't have a turban is probably on our side. And so we're going out and we're beating up Sikhs on the street. Well, you know what I mean? It's, it's one of yeah. those, like, oh, you, this, I used to talk to my friend, well, not a lot, but my, you know my friend Grant, um, yeah. who's from South Africa. And I would ask him, like, really dim-witted questions, like, you know, so everybody loves Nelson Mandela, right? And he's like, well... It's really complicated because <laughs> he did blow stuff up. <laughs> when I was when I was in high school, I thought the Irish Republican Army sounded so cool. I was like, "Oh, they sound so cool!" And it's it's very U two, and like they're out there fighting for Ireland. It's like, no, oh, you poor you poor child of Pasco County, you have such a mixed up idea about how all this works. It's so complicated. There's no, there's not a lot of good guys in bed. One of the guys they quoted in this, uh, the, I want to shoot, I want to credit the other director because she's finally getting a credit. Lynn, I forget her name, but the other woman who does as much heavy lifting as Ken Burns on these things at this point. Great interview with a guy. I don't 
he might have been Viet Cong. I think he might have been a regular. But they were just, he was just saying, you know, anybody, there are no winners and losers in war. And the way he said it, it had real weight to it. It's not the kind of like, you know, freshman dorm observation we would make with a bong in our hand. He said, you know, any, there's no winner or a loser in war. Anybody who's ever fought in a war knows that there's really no such thing as a winner or a loser. There's, there's, there's nobody wins and nobody loses. Everybody just gets damaged. And it's, yeah. and then just imagine that being your life and the subjugation that people lived under. It's <sighs> happy Monday. I got my coffee. I'm glad you made it so fast. Mm. Uh, I'm very happy with my Cuisinart water brewer. It brews fast. <laughs> so he went to the state house. Oh, well, so what? what the Washington what, what, State House of Representatives, Sid Snyder see, I, Avenue, I, Southwest <laughs> Olympia, uh, Washington. I, I do not feel that going to the Washington Capitol is really going to to um, to get the word out as much as maybe they want or or might think uh, the Washington State House is not very responsive and no one's paying attention, right? But then this hmm. is what's crazy, is that no one's paying attention to what's going on in, in Cambodia. And I am I the know. type I am the type of person, the type of U.S. American, who would know if anybody was going to, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that's the type of thing that, sh- that should have come across my bow. But it's, hap- it's just sort of like one of those things, like, well, where are you going to keep your eye? Like, how are you going to be, how are you going to be current? And it's not... It isn't getting publicized. There are bigger there are bigger problems just in the immediate region. Um, but so so Psalm's telling this story about how they got out of Cambodia during the era during this era. This is probably, and, probably in the late seventies. Mm-hmm. He and his mother and siblings. He's like we went to the border of Thailand where everybody was trying to go, and gradually we we got in, but we were put into a. We were put into a herded into a camp, like a like a refugee camp. And he said there was 150,000 people in this refugee camp and no food. Where do you get food in a situation like that? Jesus. We're all farmers. Nobody has any money. They're not giving us food. And so, in in everything that he described in this afternoon of me um, standing with him talking about what happened, it was like the absolute worst thing is starvation, and. He said the you know the war and everything it pales in in comparison to watching people starve and to starving yourself and so I was the I was eight or whatever I was the boy so I had to go out and you know I would slip through the fence and go out into the forest and try and find whatever we could to eat and he kind of he didn't punctuate that but he said it again mm-hmm. later like find whatever we could eat whatever we could and that you know it doesn't take much imagination to just be like, Hmm, eat whatever we could. Right. That's not, he's not out hunting deer. Right. Uh, but somehow they made it to America by hook or by crook. And I think it was part of, you know, uh, one of those things that I remember as a kid watching in the news, a giant sort of sea lift, mm-hmm. uh, that, that managed to, um, attract the attention of some, some Americans and they made a place for them here. And predictably, he is the—he is a huge fan of America, a total booster of it. Thinks it's the greatest place in the world. And you know, and he said, after I got here and realized that—that that realized what what America was, I I realized all I wanted was just for 
Cambodia to just be left alone and allowed to like left alone by her own people. Like just let it, let everybody live. What's the problem? What's the big deal? And I was like, Hmm. Yeah, I know. But where are people going to test out their political theories? Mm. If not in, if not in Cambodia, if not by killing millions. But so he said, I, I made a decision as a young person never to harm anyone. And now I just am doing my, now I'm just doing my life and not, not going to ever harm anybody. And at that point, boy, I was relieved because it meant that he wasn't going to screw me. Right. He said as much last time, but now you can really read between the lines. You know, you're getting a good deal on this. <laughs> well, sure. And when he put, when he gives me the bill, I'll be like, Sam, remember? Mm-hmm. Remember, remember what you said? Listen to your, listen to your anecdote. Remember? <laughs> oh, oh, so, uh, for, you know, for the rest of the day, all I could do was kind of walk around really chewing on, on my exposure to this guy and his firsthand experience and what, you know, and his, his continued desire to be useful to his, uh, to his home country and also like his take on America. Like it was a lot to... It still is a lot to consider, and I and I feel like he's a resource for me mm-hmm. somehow now. And I don't. I'm not sure I want to go out every every morning and say, "Let's talk more about Indochina." No, no, but you've definitely got the beginnings of uh, you know the the Roderick Group uh, stage two or whatever this is at this point. You you got the beginnings of a super team here for for sure. You just got a great origin story for the man on the roof. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, it's heavy stuff. But uh, but in a practical sense, it really does look like a bomb went off. It looks like my house is sitting in a crater. What? Uh, so I noticed you talking to people about your basement on the internet. What? What in the last week? What has happened? Like so, some strides have been made in certain directions. Is are you still in the? Are you and Psalm still in the fact-finding stage, or are you beginning to execute on some things? What's happening? Is that the wrong question to ask? Well, am, I, am, I, am I betraying the way this process works? I feel, like, I feel like I still don't understand the process, and I sound like a little bit of a rube. No, no, no. The danger in everything like this, and this is my own personal danger, right? In any, in any situation in my own house, any new project that is begun later than midnight is almost certainly going to devolve into a problem of mission creep. Oh, that's the ambition hour. Yeah, like if I t- yeah. even if I have a mason jar that has been sitting there collecting pens, like there it's got 30 pens in it <laughs> because it's like, "Oh, where do I put this pen? In this mason jar." Now I've got 30 pens in this mason jar. I need to I need to take that down and organize those pens. Mm-hmm. Now what I'm learning from people is that what happens when you get 30 pence in a mason jar is that you should take the mason jar and throw it in the garbage. Yeah. Or it's trying, to, it's trying to jar. tell you something. The mason jar is trying to tell you something. Yeah, right. Or just, you know, or build a... I've been talking about building a trebuchet all weekend. Maybe <laughs> build a trebuchet. Send the mason jar over the rooftops. Mm-hmm. And who knows, you know, maybe it'll find a home somewhere. You can, you can shoot it over at the Tyrells. It'll go to live on, it'll go to live on a farm. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but what I do is that at, at, at always after midnight, sometimes after 4 a.m., I <laughs> see that and I think, you know what that needs right now is to get sorted. Mm. And if I start sorting a mason jar full of pens, almost <laughs> certainly I, before I'm done, 
I will have made a grilled cheese sandwich. I will have restrung a guitar. I will have started fixing the the plunger in the toilet, but then realized I didn't have the right tool, so left the toilet half. Oh, okay, I see. You're 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 doing some power puttering. Yeah, it's a little a little little. I power think this puttering. is puttering puttering around the house. Puttering around the house for me. Okay, this is my super junior league version of what you do, which is a couple days a week when I don't have too much to do during the day, and I don't really ever have that much to do. Is I do this combination of executing on all of these little I call them mosquito tasks, all the little things that I know need to be done, especially things that need to be done on a regular basis. This is stuff as quotidian as scooping out the cat box or like re- replenishing the supply of toilet paper, but all the things that are in my wheelhouse. But as I putter, and I've tried to explain this with my wife like we're planning on a camping trip right now and i try mm-hmm. to say to her and i actually use the phrase my process i'm talking with my <laughs> wife this morning i said <laughs> I, I feel like i should explain one thing about my process my process, my process. as though she doesn't know your process <laughs> as though she doesn't know my process she, but her process is very very different from mine right. my process is we go downstairs we take out all of the camping equipment you don't make a list until you've looked at the camping equipment. Uh, you got to spread it all out. Look you got to spread it. it all out because the camping equipment is going to tell you what needs to go on the list. You don't try to shove that into the camping equipment. That's not where our list goes. It's going to no. tell you, oh, 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 you know what? This one lantern, guess what? You got to get new batteries in that one. Did you remember to check whether the air mattress is still working? You should gotta fill that it. up. Fill it up and leave it you know, for a day and see how it went. Is that what you want to do when you're in a tent? Is that what you want to do when you're in a tent? That's not what I want to do in a tent. You can't fill it up while it's still sitting down in storage. You have to pull it out. You have to lay it out. And I hope you're sympathetic here because I say to my wife, I say, my process is that I need to get started with this puttering, or in my case, power puttering. Mm -hmm. And when I'm power puttering, I'm getting stuff done. But I'm also figuring out what else needs to be done. Sure. You can't do that until you start the putter. To the layperson, it seems like you're just making a mess. It seems like a mess. If the toilet doesn't work anymore, it feels like an unsuccessful putter to a lot of right. people. Yeah, right. Uh, you've, had, you've, had, this... you've had a sandwich at this point. You've you've emptied the jar. The cock is crowing. <laughs> I have. So right now, I think if I you know if I started at the top of my house and and worked down, if yeah. we just did like one of those sort of scans on the house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I could probably, I could walk you around here and point out 50 projects in progress, uh, up to and including the, you know, like some major ones, like I'm building a podcast studio. Mm-hmm, also, mm-hmm. I'm refurb- refurbishing the basement also, but you know, there's also really small ones like this mason jar is in the process of being either, mm-hmm. uh, usually what happens is. I look at the mason jar and I think, I'm going to reduce this. I'm going to reduce this mason jar because hmm. it's... This is thinning the herd of pens? Well, if there's there's pens in here, obviously. That mm-hmm. it, they don't belong in this mason jar. This mason jar is on the counter. What we need to do is reduce this problem. I'm going to take it off the counter. I'm going to disseminate the pens. I'm going to figure out which ones work and which don't. The mason jar is going to go into the recycling and there's going to be less. That's That's the ultimate goal. Yes. What ends up happening is that it all gets spread out and it just creates more because I think, okay, all the red pens are going to go into this smaller jar and all of the, you know, and all of the, and these things that were in the mason jar that were pens, like chopsticks and those, (laughs) those ear picks that Scott Simpson gave me from Japan one time. In the worst case though, it becomes like organizing a barrel of sand where it's like, well, you know, it was already pretty organized before you started putting the sand everywhere. (laughs) 
But then, you know, and then I'm then I'm Mr. McFeely, right? I'm going around the house making deliveries like this goes here and this goes here. Uh-huh. And, <laughs> speedy delivery. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This one goes into then this belonged in the medicine cabinet the entire time. And that feels very great. It feels like I'm distributing the problem. Yeah, and, you're uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You're uh, repatriating. I'm repatriating. You're taking but, you're taking each item back to its homeland. So my mom came into the house the other day and she was like, "Oh my goodness, you cleaned off that like two by two part of your counter. There's a two by two section of counter between the refrigerator and the and the wall mm-hmm. that had." That really, as I as I went through it and sorted it, I was like, "Wow, this really has been here for seven years." I mean, I, the last time I thought of this thing, this particular thing, it was it was that long ago that this corner had just become a place where there was still it, there was still action there. It wasn't static. Yeah, no, but you know, it becomes the, an, it's an accumulator. Yeah, the stapler came and went, mm-hmm. but somewhere down in the back there were these things like. Oh, those were the numbers that I took off the front of the house when I put on new house numbers. Mm. Why didn't I throw those away at the time? Why did they end up here? Did I think I was going to use them again? Sure you did. Like, like that kind of problem. But so she's like, I'm so impressed you cleaned off this corner. But she is very definitely turning a blind eye to the fact that I took that material and spread it all over the kitchen. Oh boy. So now I have little, you know, little jars of of uh, tacks and little jars of picture hangers <laughs> and they're all and they all need to like condense back it's like an exploded diagram of of like here are all the parts you're dr and, manhattan except you, you can mentally take them apart but you can't mentally put them back together they need to go mentally back together or mentally out the door right like out the door yes yes i yes, know the and. feeling i know the feeling oh Oh, so, God. so uh, yeah, so I've got, you know, but I have so many, I, I, I occupy so many worlds, right? So many realms. I've got my this, I've got my that, I'm building this, I'm taking that apart. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm envisioning a new government of Cambodia now. And that really? requires that I get some that's, reference that's, books out. That's completely understandable. And, and I feel like the new government of Cambodia is, is, you know, a, there's going to be a lot of overlap in my plan mm-hmm. for Cambodia at, at, that I've already been working on for the American schools, mm. right? Like I'm, I'm. You'll be able to reapply a lot of that that thinking you've been doing. We've been applying to a notional school system in America mm-hmm. to to uh, uh, p- uh, picture hangers in a yep. mason, mason jar. That is going to be broadly applicable to whatever's going on in Cambodia. One imagines. I, I think globally, I think a lot of this is only, we're only going to know later, right, when the UFOs come. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, that's one of the reasons that they're going to ring me up, because I've been making these plans. Everybody's like, oh, my God, roll, roll eyes, cue roll eyes. Yeah, but I mean, like, it's not so different than Richard Dreyfuss and his mashed potatoes, right? Except what if you actually were making a what's it, whatever a devil's mountain what if it turned out that you were actually making uh, uh the, the all-important location with your mashed potatoes the thing well, is you might right. get frustrated people might look at you and say john why do you keep playing with your mashed potatoes and you say just mm-hmm. wait just wait mm-hmm. half of my face is sunburned right and I'm, and I'm out um i'm out yelling at people that the that the dead sheep are a, are a plant yeah yeah 
kind of hearing yeah. aid. It's it's definitely going to be. Uh, you know, they just re-released that in theaters. What Close Encounters? Yeah. Well, I told you my experience of Close Encounters, didn't I? No, tell me about it. It's a, it was a good movie. It got a little bit lost in the lights because it was the summer of Star Wars, but that was a good-ass movie. It didn't get lost in the lights. It was like a massive, massive hit. Yeah, I mean, you had Star Wars that year, too, you know? Well, yeah. When jo- well, okay, I didn't yeah, have right. any. I didn't have any Close Encounters action figures I was waiting on from Kenner. No, that's true. That but, would have been funny, though. They should have done that. But that scene where, uh, where some... Like some gaffer was was rattling the refrigerator and somebody else had a flashlight in it and it was like, the aliens are here. They're rattling the stove. That was pretty scary yeah. at the time. Now it's a it looks a movie. little corny. Uh, no, I showed uh, Close Encounters um, last year during the... Uh, the millennial girlfriend era. Or oh, M- when you were trying MG to catch her era. up, on, you were catching her up on all the important media that she hadn't seen. <laughs> I sure was. I was right. like, "You haven't seen Close Encounters?" She was like, "No, it came out like seven years before I was born, or whatever." Uh, I was like, "Oh, well, you got to sit down. You know, we'll go through it all." And I, I successfully got her through The Godfather. It took. Didn't like, she fall asleep? Yeah, it took four four sh- watches. John, in retrospect, uh, you know, Monday morning, morning uh, quarterback, that should have been a, a tell. Yeah, well, you know. You know, I don't. Just, I, that's a little soon, but like, mm, uh, that's a really good movie. You know, we all we all tilt at the windmills we tilt at, right? You, mm. you, you, you don't tilt at the windmill you want, you tilt at the windmill you have. No. Oh. <laughs> 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 this episode of Roderick on the Line is brought to you by Casper. You can learn more about Casper right now by visiting casper.com slash supertrain. Let me tell you a little bit about Casper. Casper is a sleep brand that created an outrageously comfortable mattress sold directly to consumers, eliminating commission-driven and inflated prices. They are making an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. It features a marriage between foam layers for ideal firmness, just the right sink and just the right bounce. You see, Casper's award-winning sleep surface was developed in-house, it has a sleek design, and it is delivered in a small, you say to yourself, how did they even do that size box? That, that is an actual measure, and it's true. You, you'll say to yourself, how did they do that? How even? In addition to the mattress, Casper also offers an adaptive pillow and soft, breathable sheets. I hate to say it, but the mattress industry has forced consumers into paying notoriously high markups for years now, and Casper is revolutionizing the mattress industry by cutting the cost of dealing with those resellers, those showrooms, they pass those savings right on to you, the consumer. They do it. They pass it right along. Let's talk about quality. Because an in-house team of engineers spent thousands of hours developing the Casper. It combines supportive memory foams for a sleep service that's got just the right sink and just the right bounce. Plus, it's breathable design, sleeps cool to help you regulate your temperature through the night. And buying a Casper mattress is completely risk-free. They offer free delivery and free returns within a 100-night home trial. If you don't love it, they'll pick it up and refund you everything. Because Casper understands the importance of truly sleeping on a mattress before you commit, especially considering that's where you're going to spend about a third of your life. All of the humans in my house sleep on a Casper, and we all love it. Whenever we travel, we go camping, whatever we do, we just can't wait to get home. And all three of us just can't wait to get back to our Casper beds. We love them. Right now, Roderick on the Line listeners can get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash supertrain and using the very special promo code supertrain at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. Our thanks to Casper. For supporting Roderick on the Line and all the great shows. <laughs> I'm going to be thinking about that all day. And I'm yeah, not happy right? about it. Hmm. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Put, put that in a <laughs> we, mason jar. You don't go to war at the windmill you'd like. 
Yeah. You accept that you're going to be obsessed with something that might even uh, not be a, a windmill, and you might have to wake your girlfriend up a few times. Yeah. yeah. That's complicated, or just, John. Or just start over. Just start over. Oh, you, know what they, so, you know what they always say? Getting old is not for sissies. That's what they say. You know, I have... I. My dad actually got that poster on his 80th birthday from some well-meaning cousin. That must, have, that must have made him feel real good. Oh, we all laughed. <laughs> we laughed. But we sat down to watch uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and what you don't realize, uh, if you've never watched it with somebody for whom it isn't a touchstone, is that, like a lot of the movies of the 70s, it's pretty slow. Pacing is a picks. little bit deliberate. And this was the era where... A married couple bickering angrily was somewhat played for laughs. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, watching it, I got very uncomfortable with the with just the tone of their marriage. Oh, Jesus. And so much of the film... At it's, least it's the, really is from a different time, especially in terms of what you would present and how you would present. I'm cribbing a little bit of this from... Um, a recent episode of Culture Gab Fest where Steve Metcalf was talking about this. But, you know, that, I love that movie. But, like, if you, you go back, back and watch it now, like you did, and the idea that, that it is essentially a movie, on the one hand, yes, B, it is a movie about this big universe. But it's also a movie about a man having a at, at, at least a midlife crisis and probably right. a, a full nervous breakdown who basically right. leaves his family. Yeah. And, and his wife, who just takes care of stuff, it's like, oh, I'll just stay here with the kids. You go to space. Well, but it's, you know, it's played as a domestic comedy in a way, but she's also in like a classic movie shrew, right? Like she just complains and she's always, just, she's always cucking our uh, protagonist. She's completely impatient. She never, she doesn't listen. He's just you know, not, he's, like, not, he's just not appreciated. And he's really, ha- you know, he's like having, he's freaking out and, and making mashed potato uh, mountains in the living room while the kids are throwing their dirty diapers around. But the whole thing, the whole t- tenor of that was not funny and it didn't feel realistic to me like it did at the time or like, like it you remember did watching et remember watching et and it was so cool it opens up it's a divorced mom you really buy that family they're, they're yeah. playing D. they're getting pizza like the whole beginning of et i think still feels i mean that was a touchstone the the, the way that the, the relationships between those kids i think you're still seeing played out today and things like stranger things because it really it felt real and you felt the pain of that but you're yeah it's i you know i gotta watch it again now did, now, did she stay Those awake encounters? for it? Yeah, yeah. Did she stay awake for it as far as you remember? No, no, absolutely not. Oh, I mean, but, uh, an, an hour in, because, you know, the special effects, which were incredible to us at the time... They all uh, those special effects. The good ones were taken and digested elsewhere, and we've seen them a hundred times. It's hard so, to so, watch a know, movie like this when it's been re combobulated in so, in so many different ways. And it's like almost a little bit like the matrix is like that, where it's, it's hard to go back. If you have seen all the movies that have like borrowed from this, it's hard to go back to the source material and feel great about it. Cause yeah, it's like, right. wow, it's this like, is really, hmm, this is a pretty watered down version <laughs> of stuff. I've seen better in anime or whatever. Yeah, slow motion fighting, big deal. Right. Yeah, right. But, but you know, close encounters. I mean, the first half of the film, it's just, you just see lights in the clouds and, and watching it with someone who, who didn't have that experience uh, because if you remember, it's very hard to, to explain what it was like to talk about UFOs, Bigfoot and the Bermuda triangle in the seventies 
we've talked about it before, but <clears throat> the feeling that we had then that those things were the unexplained mysteries mm-hmm. and also, you know, just the chill up your back at the mere mention of the Bermuda Triangle. Yeah, it was such a thing. Planes would fly in and not fly out. And what could it be? It's a, it's like, is it aliens? Is it, is it a time hole? The, but the culture was really open to all, all of that stuff. I mean, there were the Time Life books. There was the, like, the Leonard Nimoy series. A lot of it was like silly pop culture. But also, like, my family bought books of like horoscope predictions, <laughs> which is weird. I mean, we were a Christian family and we still had these horoscope things. And it, it was in that weird twilight between like this is ridiculous and i totally believe this it was somewhere in between like this is good fun right uh, same way you'd open yeah. a fortune cookie and go well i hope it turns out that way but what's what's nuts now is that we're living in a world where all of that was so broadly disseminated that there's no there's no surprise left in it mm-hmm. right like like we're talking about cryptozoology i mean i re- even remember when I worked at the newsstand now 20 years ago, the cryptozoological magazines and the nutcases that came in and bought those things right. who would stand at the counter and talk to me about, uh, you know, cupachabras. Uh, chupacabras. Yeah, you catch them, you get a five-gallon bucket, you put it out there, there's like a whole system for catching a chupacabra. <laughs> uh-huh. And And... So now, even to sit and talk to somebody about like, oh yeah, Cupachabra, those are <laughs> fucking, you know what those are? They're uh-huh, like uh-huh. Uh, space dragons that live in the jungle. Uh-huh. Um, it's there's no mystery about, and nothing seems interesting like that, like because because there are twenty five people dressed as uh, Cupachabras at Camp Comic-Con this year, yeah, yeah. Right? Right, right, right? And so, like, UFOs, really? UFOs are going to be, I mean, they're everywhere now, but they weren't then. So the, so the lights in the clouds and the, that whole, the whole scene where it's like, they're here, they're here, and then it turns yeah. out to be a helicopter. Like, none of that is spooky the way it was uh, now, or it wasn't, it wasn't in this, in this viewing. And the, so the, the, the terrible part was halfway through, my co-viewer mm-hmm. was asleep, and I didn't, I didn't have that thing of like, well, I'm going to watch it because this is great. I had the thing of like, oh, I sort of, there's nobody in this movie that I like. Yeah. I don't, I don't like Richard Dreyfuss anymore because he is like not doing a very good job by his people. I don't really... <laughs> I he's don't he's like, what's wrong with middle-aged American <laughs> men. <laughs> he's like, he's not helping. <clears throat> Nobody's helping. And and the the lights in the sky aren't scary. So <clears throat> I'm not going to hang around waiting for the scene where, you know, where the French guy comes up on top of the mountain in India and all the people go, wop, wop, wop. like, it, yeah. I remember that being so spooky. Yeah. Where did this set? Where did this sound come from? And then everybody points to the sky. <gasps> you know, I'm I'm even giving myself chills now, remembering what it was like to experience it. But but it doesn't have the I, I, same. I do effect. not like this phenomenon where I will I will even present. I do this too much, probably. I probably do this too much. But I'll say like, oh, can I introduce you to this thing? Can we listen to this podcast that I really like? Can I introduce you to this thing? And then, especially if it's a TV show, like I I. I, I'm trying to find the right balance, 
of I don't want to be a dick, but what I what I really want to present it as is like it's important to me that you just watch this thing, and I understand that's a lot to ask because this is a an hour long TV show or a two and a half hour movie or whatever it is, but like I've seen this nine times, you have seen this zero times. If you would be willing to watch this, I would love that. And if you're not, it's okay. I'll put on something we could both look at our iPads at while, while it's in the background. But 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 it's it's and then. And then the thing is, though, then you're again, again with the twilight, you're, you're back to this whole like, um, I'll rewind that because I'm pretty sure you weren't. Because <laughs> really to appreciate it, you're going to notice that it very subtly changes in the background and you'll see, look yeah. at his expression, really look at his eyes. Look at, look at Michael, you can see him twitching. And, yeah. and it's like, and, and it's like, okay, fine. All right, let's just put on a Mr. Show and we'll just shuck and jive. <laughs> There's no, there is no way to accomplish Turning someone on to the Godfather, if your context is that you've seen it 40 times, yeah. right? You can't sit down and say, like, you're going to love this movie. The first four times you watch it, you're never going to really understand who Pauly is. But eventually you, you'll put it together and that'll be a that'll be a great moment for you. It's just like, no, that's not how it works. Yeah. Uh, and and I don't know why it worked that way for us, except that I remember watching it. I remember watching it on television that time when they stuck the two of them together in chronological order. Like, Oh, right. Sure. The Godfather's been with me since I was a kid. And, and initially I think it was, um, when, when it came on TV that time in the mid seventies or late seventies, I guess the message I received from grownups was, you're not going to get this. This isn't for you. This is for, this is for adults. Right. And maybe that is what planted the seed in my head that, I mean, because I sat in and watched the shit out of it. I would just stop anytime, it came, especially in college, when it would, it would show up on like USA in one version or another. I would just always stop what I was doing and just watch it. I mean, this was oh. a time when we, you didn't have a video cassette of everything or you didn't have well, access yeah. to anything. If it came on, you go, holy shit, the Godfather's on, cancel everything. Me too, and we've watched it sixty times, but and and so has Paul Saboran, mm-hmm. right? And so have so many other people because all you have to do is make all you have to do is use one word that also appears in the Godfather script, and Paul Saboran will come out with the next line <laughs> from the film, right? And, and he's very knowledgeable. And then you'll re- reply with the next line, and then we, then we all then we all fall on the floor laughing, not at the fact that anything is funny about it except that we are ridiculous people and that's not a thing you, that's a cult basically you can't introduce anybody into it no you have to you have to pursue that on your own which is very confusing because it's like no 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 do you see fredo okay look Fred, let me explain fredo and right. nobody wants to hear fredo yeah, that's me and the Big Lebowski, where it's like you know I don't want you to watch it once I want you to watch it 16 times you right. can't get to where I am with one viewing you're going to be just annoyed, and, and now you're going to have to go on your own, do some homework, come back in a year after you've watched this this many times, and we'll have the conversation, because that's a great way to make friends, is through that kind of an ultimatum. Have you watched the entirety of The Sopranos all the way through a, uh, second, a second time? No, no, not at all. Have you watched The Wire all the way through a second time? Many times. Have when, you watched... when my wife was pregnant, we went through um, the first four seasons... I, and this is one of those stories that really grows in memory. I can promise you my hand to God. We watched the first four two times, but I want to say up to four times we've seen some episodes. Mm-hmm. Season five, good. But yeah, multiple times for especially the first two seasons. 
Have you watched uh, Game of Thrones up till now, all the way through, more than once? Not, no, no. How, how about The West Wing? No, absolutely not. I love that show, but I have not. No. So you know, these are these are each one of those in their moment was described as the greatest television that ever happened. Right? I mean, it mm-hmm. was. Like the wire came along and supplanted the Sopranos as the greatest thing that had ever happened on television. Um, But now it seems like Game of Thrones is the greatest thing that ever happened on television. I don't know if you went back and watched the West Wing from the start, whether it would have the same resonance now. Some episodes, the two cathedrals episode is still very, very good. The one we switched in church, that's still very, very good. It's great. It's great TV. Mm-hmm. It's just like I like the Sopranos seemed so real, and now I imagine it would seem really comic booky. Well, yeah, and I mean that was the one that really broke through in so many ways. Where like I agree with you, it would be hard. It would be hard to. It, it's, you can't. That's that's one where I think it's hard to go back and watch it again and have it feel like the first time. I would guess, mm-hmm. but but I don't know. I, mean, I don't know either, because I haven't done it either. Sex in the City, not as much fun as it used to be. I mean, back yeah. when that was more like, you know, popcorn TV. What are other things from that time? Uh, Gary Shandling's show. Uh-huh. Um, <clears throat> Mr. Show, obviously, silly, but I think it still holds up. A lot of it does. I mean, the stuff that the stuff about Mr. Show that doesn't hold up didn't hold up then, right? There was That's always right. that, that part where you're like, whoa! Yeah. <laughs> and, and that still sticks out like a sore thumb. Gary Shandling's show... Sort of like Curb Your Enthusiasm, those always felt like watching Dick Cavett. And watching Dick Cavett always felt to me like, why am I doing this to myself? It's a different, yeah, that, that's one where, and, you know, I was talking to somebody about this with Seinfeld, because when you go to a party with grownups, you end up talking about Seinfeld, talking about how we were, we've been watching it with our daughter. And, like, there's so much stuff on that show that you could just watch one episode, but where there's payoff over time, you know, yeah. whether it's something like, you know, Martin Van Nostrand and Art, Art Vandelay, or like whatever it is, there's these things that pay off uh, over time. And I think that's how Gary Shandling was. Like the idea that he wasn't, he was pretty sure that David Duchovny was attracted to him, like it got funnier and funnier over time. <laughs> but you couldn't just watch one of those and appreciate why that was fun. You could do it a little bit, but you really had accumulated over time. Do you want to know something embarrassing? Yes. I have no idea how this happened. I'm trying even now to put it back together in my head and I cannot get back to where on the internet I hit that little tiny rock in the road and my bike tire went over to the side. And yeah, but two nights ago I sat and watched, you know, I was doing my usual thing, which is like, why don't, why don't I go watch uh rich little on the Johnny Carson show in 1974? Talk about the Nixon administration. <laughs> That's a lot of my nights, which was, <laughs> So There's so fun. many Letterman episodes up. I hope they never get pulled down, but I'll just go and watch Letterman episodes. <laughs> well, and I was, I, you know, I I got into that thing of like, wait a minute, the Nixon administration, the Watergate was being also played out on all of this late night talk show media. And I really wanted to see like the comedians of the day do their take on it mm-hmm. because in a, in a way, like Rich Little talking to Johnny Carson, where they're both wearing big lapel jackets, it feels to me sort of eternal or out of time now. Just like 
it's just like Cary Grant. It just feels like something mm-hmm. that always existed and always will. But in those moments where it's not just, you know, it, they're not just teasing Frank Sinatra about about something, but Punching they're really, somebody. yeah, they're really talking about the news of the day. And Rich Little is doing a, a an an impression of Ehrlichman, and everybody's laughing hysterically because everyone in the country knows Ehrlichman's mannerisms enough that this guy can, you know, this uh, this uh, this comic can do an imitation of him, and they're rolling on the floor. I was just like, I have got to see more of this, and and uh, so you know, spent a little time in that space, but somehow. I don't know whether YouTube made the choice for me or or what happened, but all of a sudden I'm watching Seinfeld bloopers. Oh, oh, have, I, have, I watch those very, very seen, often. Have you seen the you have the Seinfeld oh, bloop? Yeah. Somebody's basically ripped the DVD extras and put them up. And yes, I blooper, blooper I, reels for every season. I know it's like the new isolated guitar. Uh, I, <laughs> no, I will watch. I will watch many, many of those. And I, I was embarrassed because I'm like, oh my god, Seinfeld bloopers. Really? Are you? Have you? Is this what the internet is <laughs> has to offer you? It's a terrific use of the internet. Every, I mean, you could be on here looking at the current government of Cambodia and educating yourself, but you are watching Elaine. Do forty takes that she keeps cracking up. That she keeps cracking up. Doesn't she seem like a nice person? They all do. Especially well, Michael Richards. I think he seems a little genuinely frustrated when they when they break up. But like he does, yeah. But she seems Julia Louis Dreyfus seems like a a genuinely like she would be a good person to work with. She's so she has such a she's so warm. She seems really in the bloopers. I'm saying she seems really nice. And and Jerry Seinfeld also seems like a really nice person. You're right that Michael Richards sometimes does get frustrated. And I heard him a couple of times say like, you know, we're running out of film here or something like a little testy. Also, he had uh, a lot of the hardest stuff i mean some of the physical stuff that he had to do i, I would not want to do six times no when he no, does right. when he when they're waiting for the uh the limo with the nazis and he has to do the layup shot and land in the garbage cans like i wouldn't want to have to do that six times well and also his brand of of like his triple take like boy right i mean if you do that three or four <laughs> times it loses its right it, it gets oh, a lot hadn't told me <laughs> whereas whereas you know jerry's just kind of standing there like with a smirk right, right he, it's right. not as hard to do but uh but that was yeah i was <laughs> When, I, when, Kramer, when Kramer's turned his apartment into the cigar bar, the cigar yeah, lounge, yeah. don't look at me. I'm hideous. <laughs> the one with the red light where he's like, what, the red? With the Kenny Rogers roasters? Yeah, oh, Kenny, my it's God. Across the street. So, uh, and then that's the thing where I look up at the clock and it's four in the morning and I'm like, oh, shit. I lose I an was... hour every night. And I, I think this is why. I lose an hour because of YouTube videos. Yeah. They're, they really are. It's like... There's some days where you think there's no way I could eat a whole Snickers bar. There's other times you think I wish I could find a seventh Snickers bar to eat. They just they just go by. I don't think that's so bad, John. You got a lot of things to do. You're busy at night, and you need a way to be able to unwind a little bit. Well, you know, it was my birthday the other day. Yeah, I, I didn't say anything. I wasn't sure if I was supposed to say anything. But happy no, birthday, it's buddy. All right. It's all right. It's one of those things where, you know, you get to a certain point. You I just get tired. I get overwhelmed by the whole, like, I saw it was your birthday on Facebook, and therefore I'm going to say happy birthday. I just, I don't, it, but... 
Yeah. Anyway, happy birthday. Whatever. Thanks. It's it's great. Nobody um, fucking it cares. Was, it was super amazing. But, <laughs> but you're forty. No one cares. My mom said at, she was like, "We're having a birthday dinner for you," and I was like, "Yeah, yeah, I know. Okay, fine. I'll be there." Yeah. You know, like, do I have to do anything? But but come. And she was like, "No, no, no. Just come." But what do you want? And I was like, "Already, already, you're asking me to do something yeah. more than just come. You're asking me to tell you what I want." And so she was like, okay, all right, all right, I'll make the dinner. You don't have to say anything about it. And she she made a great choice. She made Swedish meatballs, which was exactly what I wanted. Oh, and didn't, no. good choice. Right? You didn't even, I didn't, I would never have thought to say Swedish meatballs. She made them. I don't know where she pulled that down. I don't know how she knew Swedish meatballs was exactly right, but she did. That's you know, mom. it's just like, it's like. If it came from if it came from the back of a or, uh, of a can of cream of mushroom soup mm-hmm. that you found in in a in a grocery store in 1978, yeah. I will eat it. Right? Oh God, yes. But I uh, hope we never lose those recipes to time. I just don't see as much green bean casserole as I used to, used to and it kind of breaks my heart. Nobody is using uh, nobody's using fried onions the on the top. Onions. Of any Where's casserole? the turkey onions? Bring them out. It's a it's it's a, history is is being lost by by sheaves every day it's like a, it's like apache or something it's just going away how are we going to keep it alive but so in my family there's a lot of uh there's a lot of trouble around the idea of what is a good cake interesting there's a lot of disagreement between us on what constitutes a good cake and it, and it's very frustrating to me because i think it's clear what a good cake is and what a good cake isn't but no one seems to agree um and I don't know how that could have happened. We all came from the same place, basically. But no one in my family likes a chocolate cake except me. What? My, my mom likes white cake, which I don't even know what... How do you go it's not that? angel food. It's not vanilla. No, it's just it's that just, white, white just, airy, spongy... Not sponge cake, but yeah, I, I get what you no, mean. Just white cake. But, you know, my, uh, my daughter's favorite cake is carrot cake. And what, what? seven-year-old has carrot cake as her favorite cake? You should get cake. her looked at. That's not right. Uh, and so, anyway... I, I, personally, I love a carrot cake, but that's odd for a little kid to want. It's a weird cake for, for a child. So, anytime there's a cake event, I go to it kind of preloaded to be disappointed in the cake. Sure. Um the other cake that comes that sometimes appears at at family parties is a strawberry cake. I'm not talking about a I'm not talking about a strawberry shortcake. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about a cake that's like that's, strawberry. That, that's weird. That is that's very weird. Ter- it's very terrible. I, I, well, I don't know if it's terrible, but it's very. That's that's strawberry is weird as a standard cake. Yep, I've never heard of that before. And if you put a, if you put coconut on cake, I'm going to leave your party. But I'm just going to get it's, in the it's, car This is go. another one of those things. Like, to me, the canonical example of this is baker's chocolate in the fridge. And you're like, holy shit, we've got chocolate in the fridge. And you're uh-huh. 10. And, of course, you, you bite into that thing, and it's the worst. To me, what is it, German chocolate? Where it's yeah. got, it looks like it's going to be normal chocolate oh, icing. So but guess what? It's, it's not really normal chocolate icing. And guess what? It's got fucking coconut in it. Yeah, it's full of somebody's toenail clippings. Just, you know, just, just why don't you just urinate on the cake? Oh, I made chocolate <laughs> urine cake. It's really good. No, even if you're not a big fan of urine, there's just a little bit in there. It's really good. Yeah. It just gives a little bit, a little hint of urine. Yeah, or cake with rum in it. I don't want either. Stop doing that. That rum goes in a drink. Make a cake. Yeah. Cake should have cake in it. Yeah, have a cake Fucking... and a glass of rum, but don't. So, so she she does say, look, I'm not going to deal with your. I'm I'm not going to ask you about the menu. I'm going to handle that for you. But what kind of cake do you want? And she knows what kind of cake I want. But 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 she asks, right? It's it's hanging there in the air. And so what I say is, all right, you want you want to play this game? You want to do the what kind of cake do you want game? Fine. 
There's a six-layer chocolate cake at Safeway that you can't buy. You can o- They only make it to sell it in slices. You can't I buy cannot it. I cannot fucking believe you said this. You can't buy it. So that's what I want for my birthday. I'm, I'm, I'm a man of a certain age. None of the presents... None of the presents that any of you are going to get me are are anything other than things that you found on the remainder table at Costco, right? Because you're you're a man Super in your forties. Super interesting. Because I was going to pick as my well. There's two kinds of chocolate cake you can get from Safeway. You're talking about the bigger, thicker one. They have another oh, yeah. one. It's called chocolate fudge icebox cake. I know the one. It is a squ- fucking square of Safeway yep. chocolate cake with fudgy icing on top, and it's my favorite cake. Yeah, you could tile the floor of an airport with those. You know, they're substantial. They are super substantial. It's like what three or four bucks, but it's like a mini cake. You get a cake. You get a square fucking cake of your own. It's probably about six inches by six inches, maybe five inches, probably Mm -hmm. two inches thick, and it is glorious. And there's no fucking coconut on it. There's no rum involved. There's nothing cute. There's no surprises. You don't need a baby. There's nothing weird about it. It's just no cream cheese in the frosting. It's just (sighs) a frosting in a cake. It is large batch delicious. Just but cake. The, the six layer I know the one you mean super cake which yeah. I which you know I, I I treat myself to periodically I said that's that's what I want for my birthday cake via con Dios good <laughs> luck Godspeed well so my mom not one to be daunted by a by an, uh, an impossible project mm-hmm Went to Safeway. The person there at the bakery said, we don't sell those. She said, let me speak to your manager. <laughs> well, actually, first of all, she went to the, she she misheard me and she went to the QFC mm. and yelled at the grocery store managers at two different QFCs until she realized that they don't sell those there. Mm. They have terrible cakes at QFC. And what I meant was Safeway. I think she called my sister. My sister was like, no, no, no. It's Safeway cake that he wants. They're the good cakes. Mm-hmm. So then she went to Safeway and she went up the chain until she arrived at the at the person who said, "We will sell you one of those cakes, but it's going to cost more than it would to just buy that many slices of it." And my mom said, "Fine, price is no object." Mm-hmm. I, he, my son challenged me to show up with one of these cakes. I'm going to do it. Now, it turned out that the bakery manager didn't know what they were talking about. And, in fact, it still was cheaper than buying all the slices. They That was just some, I don't know what, that was some inner internal Safeway legend that they had never really looked at. Like, these cakes would be more expensive, unsliced than sliced. That sounds, like it, that sounds like it turns out. It turns out, no. In yeah. fact, I, I did the math. It wasn't that hard to do the math. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All you have to do is do the price of the cake times eight. Which oh, is I see. You found a life hack for that. That's good. Uh-huh. 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 But so I arrive at this birthday party, this Swedish meatball birthday party with my <laughs> my. <laughs> And and all of the presents I got were just delightful things that were like on the table at the on the table at the fireworks store at the mall, but like with a sale tag on it. Yeah. Which is great. Which is great. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, my daughter. Someone one of my family members bought me a book that was about uh famous guitars, like the famous guitars. Oh, like a coffee table book? Yeah, the famous guitars that made America great. Nice. I love that kind of thing. I've got I've got a bunch of those. But then when I opened it, it was clear there there was a little bit of a cultural divide because no one in my in my gang would know enough about um like the 
famous guitars genre of book to have recognized that this was a book about the famous jam band guitars. Oh, I and see. It's not, it's not evident on the cover. It just says the band, the guitars that that yes. that built Pantheon of Rock. And you got wall to wall warlocks. And I was like, wow, the guitars that built the Pantheon of Rock. And I opened it up and it was like Jerry's, <laughs> do, 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 Jerry's do, do, do. number one axe. And then I'm like, whoa, BC Rich, Jerry? right? BC Rich Warlock? Was that his no, go-to? No, 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 they were, these were custom-made guitars. And uh-huh. I think the I think the one that looks like a Warlock was made even before BC Rich was a, they're custom-made by some guy, obviously, in the Bay Area, mm-hmm. out of like hard-to-find South American koa woods and yeah. inlaid with a special, you know, like Mother of Pearl that jerry found on the bottom of the seafloor and anyway uh and so then the second page is like jerry's other number jerry's number two guitar and i was like huh oh. two pages devoted to jerry and then the third page was <laughs> bob weir's number one i was like whoa oh, what wow. book is this and so it's a huge book what and about as the I string flip- cheese incident aren't they a jam band they are in there <laughs> and what's crazy about this thing is i'm flipping through and when was the last time you saw a coffee table book with like 250 different guitars in it, played by 250 different nominally famous guitarists, and I really don't know any of them. I'm looking at him like, right. who is this guy? Like, how did a guy with, how did a guy with a baseball hat get to be famous enough to have a picture of himself with his signature right. guitar? Right. And all all this guy looks like to me is just a guy with a baseball hat on. Like, I'm not, it's yeah. not even. And they're not. None of them are rocking very much uh stage flash mm-hmm. they're jam band guys they're like they're they're wearing fleece yeah or you know like i don't know dad jeans they don't have like platform dragon boots none of them Mm-mm. none of them not a one um and like there's a lot of paul reed smiths in there and and uh and uh, what's great is like a lot of their signature guitars are like the 1997 Oh. I'm like, 1997 is this guy's signature axe? Yeah. Anyway, so that's one of the presents I got. Just nice. by example. But then on the table, here is this six-layer chocolate, oh. uh, like, Tower of Babel. Beautiful. She accomplished it. Mm. And then, as in all great things, at the end of the party, she said, get that cake out of my house. I never want to see it again. Mm. And the the thing about it is you can only eat you can only eat four bites of this cake before you are having a diabetic emergency. It's pretty rich. And so I I I was I was allowing myself, I was allotting myself half of a normal slice because it was my birthday era. It was my birthday week. I was giving myself half a normal slice. And at four o'clock in the morning, I was lying in bed and my feet were going like. I was playing double kick drum on the on the footboard because I was so jacked on chocolate and sugar. And wait, wait, so, you, you were you were hopped up on cake. Hopped up on cake, Ooh. like if if you eat a piece of this cake anytime after six p.m., you are just you're flying. And so my sister said, "No, no, 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 no! You don't want to eat cake before bed. Eat it in the morning. Eat it for breakfast." And so the following day, I was like, I'll give myself half a piece of cake with my morning coffee. I'm reading the newspaper. And I was completely jacked for the rest of the day. Like, like, like my stomach was churning. I've eaten this sugar bomb. So I have half of 
the world's greatest cake in my refrigerator right now, and I do not know how to approach it. I open the refrigerator and I look at it. And I'm like, I want you, but I feel like you are going to fuck me over big time. I mean, it's like a real, it's like the, it's like I'm sitting, look, I'm unrolling my works. It's like you've got an it, ex-girlfriend in your fridge. It really you know what you should do? You should do a Miranda. Speaking of sex in the city, do what Miranda does. You go in there, you get that cake, you remove whatever's covered on it, you take a knife and you give yourself a little sliver. A little sliver. Just slice oh, it wow. off, treat it like a turkey, give yourself like a little sliver of cake. A little, a little sliver. And if you want more later, you have a little bit more. You know, you're breaking the Prozac in half. You know what I'm saying? You, you know how many giant slices of cake I've eaten one sliver at a time? No. How many? That's the problem. So many. All of them. Mm-hmm. All of them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was at a party yesterday and the, the host of the party was like how many of these hamburgers should i make and before i even had a chance to say make all the bacon <laughs> somebody from across the room was like make them all mm-hmm. and and i obviously instantly went over to talk to that person because i understood they were a, a, a kindred spirit but then he did make them all and like four of them went uneaten oh no and every time i walked through the kitchen and saw these four slowly coagulating hamburgers I was like, oh, wow, I'm really glad I was not the one that shouted, make them all. Yeah. Because every once in a while, you make them all. I mean, the thing is, if it was my house, I'd put them in the freezer. It'd be great. That's the but, Yeah, that's the problem, though, is like, you know, if you have too much food, especially with something like hamburgers, you got essentially two options. You can either freeze the patties and then hope that you don't run out of cooked burgers or you can cook them all, in which case now you got to decide what to do with some, with some hamburgers. Yeah. So you err in the direction of I'm going to have lots more cooked hamburgers. You repurpose those into other dishes, correct? You, you like you do your own little Wendy's chili type situation. Yeah, you're going to crumble one of those burgers into a big thing of macaroni and cheese. Yes, that's going to make everybody happy. Oh, you're we gonna... had we had baked we had big ziti last night, and it was really really good. See, exactly. my wife makes a great big ziti. She makes a re- she makes a really stellar macaroni and cheese. You can crumble anything into that, and it's delicious. You could crumble bacon into that. You could crumble uh, you crumble an old hamburger into that. You could crumble an old hamburger into a thing of spaghetti sauce, and it will just the spaghetti sauce will just gobble it right up. Oh, they'll, they'll start making out right away. They are happy to be in that bowl, buddy. So many things you can crumble an old hamburger into. But this is not your burger. This is not your house. This and is the thing is, I, I couldn't, now that I'm thinking about it, I could have said, hey, you want me to take those four burgers <laughs> off your hands? I'll have them. <laughs> but I bet you that he had enough sense, enough of good sense to know that, that those those were still viable burgers. Mm-hmm. He could put them back to use. But but as, as for what I'm going to do with this... I mean, this enormous, even eating a sliver at a time, it's going to take me six months to go through this cake. I'm proud. I'm proud of my mom for accomplishing it. I'm proud to have it in my refrigerator, but I just don't have, I don't have the walk-in freezer that you need. I to know. Re- I'm, I'm the same way. Well, this is going to sound a little crazy, but can I suggest you offer, offer a slice to Sam? He, he might like some cake. I'm going to bet that this cake is not, part of Psalms Veltenshong? Yeah, general sort of like food mm. family. Mm. But uh, but but mm-hmm. maybe, you know, it took me it took me a week of having Psalm at the house before I realized, you know, Psalm has never come in the house to get a drink of water or use the bathroom. What? So I went outside and I said, Psalm, are you not coming in the house because you haven't been invited because 
you work here all day. I'm sure you need to go to the bathroom sometimes. And he was like, oh, ha, ha, ha. well, you know, hmm. he, he kind of did a little like church and state thing. Like, well, you know, I'm working outside and don't hmm. want to come in to. And I was like, Sam, listen, I want you to use the bathroom if you ever need to use the bathroom. Mm-hmm. And he was like, okay, thank you. I'm but he not, didn't. He didn't offer up what he had been doing as an alternative. I just or think using as was, an alternative. I think he was either. No, I don't think he was going to the bathroom like in a milk carton. You don't I think, think he was he, cold jugging? No, 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 no. That's he's a he's 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 a guy with a lot of class and style. I think he was going to the bathroom when he went to lunch. Okay, okay. Like he just was somebody that knew how to not need to go to the bathroom all the time, mm-hmm. which is I don't know how you do that, but but I, I peed twice are, while we were recording today. There are all kinds of people who uh, who don't have to go to the bathroom, or who even if they do have to go to the bathroom all the time, don't. Like those they might guys, as well that, be mind readers to me. Like they might as well be Magneto. Like I don't understand that power at all, I, and I, I just I marvel at it. If you work in a giant construction crane, you've mm-hmm. got to take one of those little pilots helpers up mm-hmm. there. Oh yeah, you can't possibly. I mean. If if you work in a giant construction crane, you go up in the morning and you come down in the afternoon, right? Right. Like, you're not up there. You don't go up and down those stairs 15 times a day because you have to go to the potty. Right. Um, but it certainly means you you don't you don't have to go poop during the day. I, you, I, have I ever asked you about that? What do you what do you do when you're up in a Cessna or whatever? Like, what do you do when what do you what do you do if you got to drop a deuce? You don't. Mm-hmm. Just keep flying. You stay focused. The thing, the thing about flying a small plane is that it doesn't actually last as long as you might think. Like, you go up and you fly for four or five hours, and then you come down. Okay. You don't get up there. You don't top off those tanks and fly for 12 hours. It's not... It's not... Um, I those see. People, those people that do those, those cross-country flights, um, you know, those planes are specially modified and also... Even that doesn't really. Nobody's flying the Spirit of St. Louis across the Atlantic anymore. And I, I, will, honestly, I will sometimes take men- mental note, uh, and I'm just saying maybe this is a post 9 11 thing. You do not see pilots coming out of the cockpit very often. And I don't think they're cold jugging it. Mm-mm. They're just they're again, gentle, they're gentlemen. Those flights are, most of the flights that you take in the United States are five hours long. Yeah. Right? They, if, if you. Um, if you need to go pee in the space of five hours, sure. Mm-hmm. But if you can't figure out, if you can't get your timing enough that you can uh, <laughs> manage to sit in one place for five hours without having an emergency, you know, and probably pilots You throw aren't... a little bit of shade at me. You're saying I, I could never be a pilot <laughs> is what you're saying. Just I'm because saying... I pee three times in a, in a five-hour flight? I pee freely. Mm-hmm. All right. That's, you know, that's fine. Uh, if you... Hmm. If you, I mean, I'm the same way. If if it was an overnight flight, I yeah. would have to get up six times because mm. I'm one of those characters now. That's it, if you read the back of a bottle, and oh, it yeah. says if you need to go to the bathroom more than twice in the middle of the night, then you have a medical emergency. Yeah, wow, uh, emergency. That's <laughs> <laughs> a medical preference. If you have any of the following symptoms, consult a doctor. <laughs> like, oh, you just described all of my feelings. You would from never have to time pop- to organize your mason jars if you were constantly consulting a doctor. Oh, so I'm going to the doctor. Oh, nice. So I haven't been to the doctor in a while, and for a while I did. I did go to a doctor. Get your little, uh, your little like kind of heart scare a while back. Well, and so 
after that, I, I, I started seeing a doctor at the cooperative and he was kind of a, like a scatterbrained hippie doctor. And whenever I would ask him a question about something, he would say, well, yeah, but there's really no point in worrying about it. Hmm. And I would say, really? seems like that's what you do. You go to the doctor when you're worried about something. <clears throat> Sounds and more, the doctor, more like a bartender than a doctor. Yeah. The doctor worries about it with you. Was he wiping the counter while he was telling you this? <laughs> he was saying, oh, wait a minute. Hey. He wasn't a doctor. He was a bartender. <laughs> <laughs> no wonder I still have this goiter. <laughs> Can I top you off? <laughs> no, he was just like, you know, oh, he said to me one time, he's like, <clears throat> you know, we don't have the, really the ability to test people for cancer. Uh, <laughs> Is that a fact? You know, you if you have huh. if you have symptoms of cancer, then we can go in and 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 do a battery of oh, tests. Oh, because you're still out. looking for that beam that's going to scan you. You're still looking for the scan yeah, beam. Yeah, it's just like, oh, I'm kind of worried about. Yes. I'm kind of worried about this, and he's like, I mean, no, yes. that's not how it works. You don't come in here and say you're kind of worried about cancer. Can we test if you have it? Like hmm. the way we test. That seems that like you something cancer, they should offer. It seems like something a lot of people would take them up on. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, it seems like a way they they can make a little bit more money. Right. Sure. Cancer scans. <laughs> Uh, but but for most of the things I came in and said, like, well, I don't know about this. He's like, it's probably fine. And on the one hand, that's reassuring. But on the other hand, I felt maybe a little bit like I wanted more hand-holding. Mm -hmm. But then my insurance changed. I no longer can go to the co-op and deal with this doctor. And so I went back to my normal state of affairs, which is no doctor. Yeah. Well, it but should be. As people keep telling me in your... In your 40s, in your late 40s especially, you need to have a doctor to go to something. <sighs> yeah, I suppose. And I was like, all right, fine, I'll get a doctor, fine. And then the question was, well, what doctor do you want? And I looked at all this stuff and I Yeah, picked... you go through it like a fucking yearbook. Yeah. Oh, here, I flip, picked... flip through here and see which one of these people you want to take care of your health from now on. Exactly. Uh. Exactly. It's crazy. And so I found somebody, I like their face. I was like, I'll call this one, I like their face. I don't like this one. I don't like this doctor because it looks like... This doctor is a cross-country runner, and I do not no, want a no, doctor no, that no, is a cross-country no. runner. They can't turn and, that off. They can't even pretend that that's not who they are. Right. And you this, the, you know, this doctor obviously uh, thinks they're they're hot cheese, and I don't want to go to a doctor that thinks they're hot cheese. And this doctor's never going to look me in the eye. I don't mm -hmm. want that. I don't want a doctor that's not going to look you me in the eye. You can tell all that just from the little directory. Yep. Yeah. So I, I find a doctor. He looks like Kevin Seal from uh, MTV. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And I go, this is the one for yeah, me, Kevin right? Yeah, Kevin Seal then or Kevin Seal now? Uh, Kevin Seal now is amazing. Yeah. But um, I mean, with this, the, the, the fellow you picked out, does he look he more looks like, like 1988 Kevin? Kevin? Okay. He, wow, he nice. Like, but, but, you know, Kevin Seal now kind of looks like Kevin Seal then. He's, is that he's, right? Yeah, he's retained his handsomeness all oh, the way good through. Good for him. I'm pulling for him. Yeah, he's he's uh, he's one of the greats. But then I call this guy, and the person that answers the phone says, I've never heard of that doctor. Call this number. And I call that number, and that pretty soon I'm talking to somebody out in Issaquah. They patch me through to somebody else, and that person tells me, oh, that doctor doesn't do internal medicine. He's a surgeon. Sounds like they really got this whole thing figured out. Like, okay, you Running know what? like a top. Screw this Trust whole thing. Trust us with your health. We don't know how to update a phone number. Right, right exactly my problem mm. and so i'm like what am i gonna do i don't even want a doctor but i but i need one and then i remembered i went to the doctor during my campaign 
the doctor. Yes. She was the the doctor from New York. <gasps> oh, said, that doctor. The, yeah. the I'm not the one who came to see you, doctor. Yeah, right. I'm not the one who came to see you, doctor, who sat there kind of impatient with me and said, "Why don't? Why are you so suspicious of doctors?" Um, and I said, "Why don't I just go to her?" Mm-hmm. There is a part of me that feels like as a as a like a grouchy gramps that I wanted I I'm always looking for a doctor that's older than me sure and maybe grouchier than me but but this woman who's not she wasn't any older than I was she really got my attention with that I didn't come to see you line mm-hmm. touche lady doctor right and her impatience with me really resonated with me because I'm also impatient with myself. Yeah. 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 And so I was like, I'm going to go see a grouchy lady doctor. Mm-hmm. And so I made an appointment with her. So I'm going, I'm going to see her next week. I'll see if, I'll see if, uh, if, if we maintain that rapport. You got a lot going on right now. You got, a, you got a new podcast you're working on. You got a, oh. you got a, you got a lady doctor going on. You got, you got Psalm. And, and now on top of all the Psalm work, you're coping with Psalm as a, I mean, as a situation. You're thinking about that. You got cake you need to finish. You still got, you got jars full of pens. There's probably some clothes right now that probably aren't in the situation that you'd like them to be in. You have a lot of balls in the air right now. <sighs> you... Do you want to promote your new program? Is it, are, we, oh. are we at that point yet? Well, I mean, we can certainly talk about it. I don't know if I'm promoting it quite yet. Sorry. But, you're not but a fan. It, no, it's okay. Yeah. It's all right. Um, when you're ready, yeah. tell us about your new program. So I'm working on a new program. You know, I, I, I start to get podcast envy, right? Because you've got like five great award-winning podcasts. Wow. And uh, a lot of people have a lot of podcasts, right? I mean, the, my, the, my brother, my brother and me guys and their wives all together as a collective have 40 podcasts. I don't think that's wholesome. Um, Doing so many podcasts podcasts. with people that you're related to, blood or otherwise, is just not healthy. Well, they're from West Virginia. That's a good point. But Justin uh, McElroy has got, he started a podcast just in the time that we've been doing this podcast. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Like, I I don't know how many podcasts my other uh, co-host Dan Benjamin has. Dan Dan is not as busy as he used to be. He does more development now. I've got four regular shows. I'm looking into maybe getting another. Oh, you think about going 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 for a fifth? Oh, one never knows. Does one? Are I, have, to, are, I have capacity for it. Does the do the people that you're talking to about doing another podcast? Do they know you're talking to them about? No, it? they don't know it yet. I see. Okay, that's that's important. No, it's very important. The the, the listeners don't know. The the co-hosts don't know, and that's the way I like it. So well, so, 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 so tell, tell the, about uh, the show. Tell tell who so you're the, doing the show with. The people at Stuff You Should Know, mm-hmm. uh, which is a uh, venerable podcast network. Stuff you uh, should know. Stuff. Stuff you should know. Stuff. Stuff. They, stuff is a big part of their network. Mm-hmm. Stuff you should know. Uh, and they have um, they have they have several podcasts, uh, some big ones. Um, one of them, um, starring uh, our friend Chuck Bryant. Mm. Right? Isn't that called Stuff You Should Know? I don't. I don't know who that is, but I'll find out. Chuck Bryan is a good is a good friend of mine, and I think his podcast is called Stuff You Should Know. Or oh, you talking about Chuck uh, about Chuck 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 Bryant, right? Charles Chuck Bryant. That's right. Yeah, yeah. He does a show called uh, Stuff You Should Know. Right. So uh, I think it's probably on the Stuff You Should Know network. But no, there's a the network has a different name. Hmm. Stuff you should 
We're learning no. so much here. How stuff yeah. works. How stuff works. How That's stuff the name works. Of that so lots to, lot to keep track of here. So I know Chuck from a long time, and I think he's one of the most wonderful dudes. And so um, the How Stuff Works network reached out, and it kind of was it kind of was funny, right? Because mm. for a long time, I've been talking to Ken Jennings, my Seattle-based uh, pal about why don't we do a podcast? And Ken has always been like, ah, everybody thinks I'm like Mr. Trivia because I won Jeopardy 1,000 times, and I don't want to do trivia. And, and I feel like if we did a podcast, there would be all this energy directed at me to just be like, it's Jeopardy podcast with Jeopardy guy. And I was like, yeah, I know. It is, it is a problem. Figuring out like what to do with your podcast is the is really hard. And you're right. Like we don't We shouldn't do a thing that isn't, fun and and cool for us both but i think it would he's very funny man mm-hmm. i think it would be good to do a show we should think we should keep thinking about it and so for a couple of years we've been thinking about it well so how stuff works reached out to me mm-hmm. and said you know ken jennings right and i said yeah oh and they said well mm-hmm. we were thinking about getting getting him to do a podcast could you put us in touch with him? Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, I'll put you in touch with Ken. So I sent that over to, to I sent that across Ken's desk, but with no, I attached no post-it note to it Mm-mm. saying, here's our, here's our shot. I made no, I used no uh, collective pronoun. I was just like, uh, stuff you should know or uh, how stuff works. Mm-hmm. A lot of stuff. How stuff works wants to talk to you, Ken. About making stuff. And then I and then I just like did the old I wash my hands of this motion. Mm-hmm. So how stuff works said, "Hey Ken, we want you to do a podcast." And Ken said, "Well, I've been working on a podcast with my friend John, who you who you contacted to get in touch with me." Mm-hmm. And they were like, "What a great idea." And then you did it. You so, did a Dick Cheney. Yeah, that's yeah, right. You totally Cheneyed them. I chained him a little bit. My suggestion for the best candidate. (laughs) (laughs) And so, but then they were like, great, let's do this. And uh, both Ken and I were like, well, we still have this problem of not wanting to do a trivia podcast. And uh, How Stuff Works was like, you know what? We got no no dog in that race. You guys Uh just do whatever you want. So we uh, we came up with some ideas, and then they flew us to Atlanta. What? This is this new podcast world, Jeez Merlin, where people have... Where Find I people think around. How about that? I think what's happening is that people are realizing that podcasting is not only not going away, but it's becoming a bigger thing. Uh, and yet, still, the biggest podcast network is NPR. Like, we've been talking about this for a long time, right? There's no... Hmm. Budweiser does not advertise on podcasts, right? It's all... It's still a small world. Just as a note here to John Syracuse, this is going to be one of those times where I just go, hmm, a lot, and, and, and let you talk. <laughs> I, <laughs> and what I, is... I, the conditions of everything you're describing, I, I wouldn't want to vet one way or another. I think you are correct. The, the public radio writ large has yeah. historically and will continue to be a large source of both podcast and talent for podcasts. 
mm-hmm. I wouldn't say it's just NPR. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as being flown around, oh, I have not been I'm flown sorry. many places before. Look, it's an evolution, mm-hmm. and I'm sure John. You Syracuse don't get texts about like, this. I get texts <laughs> about this. Why don't you tell him? Why don't you tell him that's not correct? <laughs> the 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 number of people in my life who have tried to get me to make a distinction between public radio and NPR. Well, um, and how would you distinguish between that and the slate and panoply relationship? You get into things like you get American public media. You get it, go, it gets very complicated. Yeah, I heard all those people over onto the same couch at the fraternity mixer, and I reintroduce <laughs> them to one another, and I say, "Have a great time," because. Do not John, uh, what's text. the name of the, your program going to be? Oh, so, so. You're yeah, not they, very good at this. Uh, they well, I want people to, to know Atlanta. where to go to listen to your program with Ken Jennings. Now they know the history. Where can they go and listen to it? Well, so it's not it's not going to debut for a while because nope. we're doing some uh, we're doing some pre- preliminary work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but what we decided was uh, that there is a real problem. You want a, you want your podcast to solve a problem, right? <laughs> You're not going to say the name, are you? <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ! There's a problem. There's a problem in the world that needs the following resolution. Uh-huh. We see an apocalypse looming. We all do. You spend all day watching zombie <laughs> programs on TV. I know it. Yep. Mm-hmm. And all day. And what's going to happen is that the apocalypse is going to come. And a certain amount, the apocalypse is going to end up being an aperture, a filter. And on the other side of the apocalypse, some things are going to be remembered, but a lot of things are going to be lost, right? Like we're going to have to Hmm. redevelop the technology to make maglev trains because it's going to, that technology is going to be lost in the cataclysmic fires. Mm -hmm. Or like how to hit the top of a 13-inch black and white TV to make the picture come back. Yeah, right. That nobody's going to remember that. I mean, people, are gonna, rain. Mm-hmm. people are going to remember the Beatles, right? Because they're going to be digging around. They're going to find enough Beatles ephemera. Yeah, that'll that, come up a lot. Yeah, yeah. But nobody's going to remember the animals, All right? You know. And so, what Ken and I both have in common is a tremendous amount of uh, back catalog knowledge of sort of what you know, where how we got to where we are. Mm-hmm. And so, we're making a time capsule. To be opened by the futurelings of Earth, the future beings, whoever they are. Wow. And maybe they're big, like, steampunk cockroaches, or maybe they (laughs) are, uh, you know, some, maybe it's Planet of the Apes or whatever. But so we're trying to catalog as much of the, like, very, what we consider to be very important, but potentially ephemeral knowledge that wouldn't make it through this uh, 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 apocalyptic aperture. Okay. So that when you open this time capsule sometime in the future, you'll be able to flesh out and fill in your knowledge of of uh, of h- human history up to this point. Okay. And our listeners are going to be able to have access to this in advance, right? Okay. Because that's I a good mean, idea. They, that's that I could see a demand for that. They don't. It might not be a demand now, but there will be a demand later. You've already got it ready to go. Right. And right. You're, so, you're a little bit like Marlon Brando on one of those uh, ice cube sticks uh, inside uh, the fortress, right? You've got it all ready. When, 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 when it's time, Kal-El will discover that he can stick an ice cube in a hole, and he'll know, and then Marlon Brando will tell him about how to be a good person. Yeah, we're basically putting these, we're making these gold records, and mm-hmm. we're stapling them to the outside of a, of a box, and we're sending them into space. 
and they have a little bit a little recording of Chuck Berry on them, and they have the. See, I was thinking of Sugar Bear. Geometry. I was thinking, remember Sugar Bear? The post cereals used to have a. You get a record, you get cut out of the back of the cereal box. Of course, no one remembers that. This is the kind of thing your program would cover. There used to be a oh. time when a sugar, a literal Sugar Bear, would have an album or not an album, a forty-five on the right. back of a breakfast cereal that you could then go play on a record player that you guys don't even have anymore. Right, or a plastic record that came inside of a Mad Magazine. A, pl- a plastic record, yeah. The flexi, di- a fle- flexi disc, yeah. Flexi disc. So the podcast is called Omnibus. Omnibus! That's a great name for a podcast. Yeah, thank you. Omnibus with Ken Jennings and John Roderick. And it's going to debut sometime soon-ish. But, you know, within, within what's increasingly becoming uh, this whole, like big-time international showbiz podcast world soon could mean a lot of things, Mm. right? It could mean, like, six hours. It could mean, like, 60 days. It could mean, like, six years. Mm -hmm. Um, Hopefully, it'll be somewhere between six hours and six years. Omnibus. Podcasting giant How Stuff Works announces four new shows, expansion of genres, and fresh talent. Omnibus, co-hosted by Ken Jennings, the winning guest, Jeopardy! champion of all time, and John Roddick, frontman of the indie rock band The Long Winners and Legendary Raconteur. Mm, Together, Ken and John will pick a couple of topics a week for mind-blowing deep dive into obscure stories they fear might be lost to history. What's crazy is that every time somebody would send me some copy to edit, uh, it would always say, like, Ken Jennings, uh, best-selling author and, and... and most winningest Jeopardy champion of all time. Yeah. And then it would say John Roderick. And there were all these superlatives added to my accomplishments. John Roderick, like beloved indie, beloved oh, front man no. of, of, uh, oh, of everyone the emeritus years, everyone's favorite band, the long winters and, hilarious rock on tour of the and i and i would i would look at this copy and i would take all that out and i would say john roderick frontman of the indie band long winters and podcaster or whatever you want to say but do not attend it with any like flowery language because you're not doing that to ken no because no, ken has like these real like best-selling author Ken Jennings and <laughs> and, and pitiful eminence Grace, <laughs> be- beloved and hilarious beloved friendship characters. and an animal and I'm just like no fuck you and so I I did it three or four times and every time I would send it back to the next grandpa John <laughs> They would send it back to me with this world's greatest grandpa shit, and I would comb it out. And then that when that press release went out, somehow that word, what was the word? It's not beloved, right? It, they used some, oh, something uh, about You are uh, front man of the indie rock band and legendary, legendary, legendary. rock and tour. Somebody slipped that back in, and I'm just like, stop it, you guys. Like, Gather just... around, children, and I will tell you the tale of John Roderick. <laughs> Don't even use rock on tour. Just say like podcaster. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, I don't feel bad. I feel worse when you when you try to like when you try to puff it up. It just says it kind of just says bless your heart. Oh, bless his heart. It does. It says bless your heart. (laughs) I don't need that. I don't need that. I know that the thing about the thing about Ken's fame, which is astonishing to me, is that he's truly famous still. That all happened ten years ago or more. When he was on TV, but but when he was on TV, he was in the newspaper every night. Like, can you believe this guy right. is still going? And my mom said at one point, I've, I've never watched a game of Jeopardy. The only thing I know about Jeopardy is that one guy won it a bunch of times. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that one guy is 
our friend Ken. And she was like, oh, that's the one guy? That's all I need yeah. you to know. So, But everywhere we go. So Ken came over to the house the other day. He gets up on the steps. And Sam is there. And Sam looks at him and goes, do I know you? Aren't <sighs> you the guy from Jeopardy? No shit. I'm like, Sam knows? Oh, man. This is a hell of a super team you're getting. You're going to so, do some amazing stuff. Yeah. So I'm building this podcast studio at my house where Ken is going to come every week. And now Peter's in the basement, Psalm's on the roof, Ken's in the fucking... Ken's in the... Not going to do it. So that's the basement project. Now it can be told. Yeah, it's all, it's all, everything's going. Everything's it's just going like it's going to be a Ken Jennings delivery system. Ken and the legendary raconteur, John Roderick. That's right. And whatever possum is living in the walls right now... <laughs> uh, you know, I got the, uh, I got the, 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 the old gang. <laughs> All right, let me edit this up. All right, good mm. job, Omnibus.